You are listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at holmesavenue.com. Well, welcome to our worship service today. Thank you for coming and worshiping with us on this beautiful December day. My name is Walter. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to make a note that uh, this is where you have opportunity to consider how you might give to support the mission of Holmes Avenue. Just last week, you heard from Pastor David Dyer and his family who are going to South Asia, who are going to be serving the Lord as missionaries. They move in January, and a part of what you give goes directly to them. I want you to know that our new budget that we'll be presenting this afternoon and voting on to affirm we actually have over 10% of our budget going to missions straight out the door. So for every, every dollar you give, 10% of that goes out. That's on top of all the offerings we take to support various IMB and SCBC and NAM mission efforts. So I want you to hear, I want you to understand that we are about the gospel here. And this is serious business for us. I want to encourage you to consider giving to support that mission as you are able to. So today, we are going to continue our series looking at the themes of Advent. As you are familiar, this series is called The Promise. And in this, we're looking at several promises of God that are fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. Christmas is a time when we celebrate all that is available to us through the gift of Jesus. And during Advent, we learn to wait expectantly with these themes of hope, peace, joy, and love. Over the last two weeks, we've looked at God's promise of hope and of peace. Each promise was ultimately fulfilled by Jesus. He's our hope for the present and for the future. He's also going to bring peace for the world. We know that this is true. Today, we're going to look at this third theme in Advent, joy. And lo and behold, you might recognize that the answer to this search for joy in our life is answered not by things of this world, but by who? Jesus. I do have a question for you. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Think about it. No pressure, right? You don't have to shout it, but we've all got a favorite Christmas movie, right? For me, this might be a little surprising, but my favorite Christmas movie is Elf. You've met me and you think, that's odd, but I love the movie, right? I just love it. One of the reasons I think this is my favorite Christmas movie is because it's such a lighthearted movie, right? You watch this movie and even the most challenging moments are filled with, they're filled with conflict and tension. There's a lot of humor, there's laughter, that things just aren't really taken seriously in this movie. I think that's one of the reasons I like it because it really captures the picture of what I think we want our Christmas experience to be like, right? The main character, Buddy the Elf, played by Will Ferrell of all people, right? He's filled with joy. He's filled with joy. His sole reason for existence is to bring Christmas cheer to everyone he meets. That's what he's doing. He never really gets down or disappointed in this movie. He always finds his joy very quickly when challenges occur. You know, I want to believe that one of the reasons that we like Christmas movies like Elf and whatever else you might insert in there, I believe one of the reasons we like them is because they capture an experience that we want around the holidays, right? It's no secret that sometimes it is hard to find joy and excitement during this season. That if we're honest with one another, it's tough some years, isn't it? We continue to recognize that we've all experienced or we're experiencing some type of challenge during these holiday seasons. 
And these things that we face, they sometimes leave us feeling a distinct lack of joy. So what can we do about this lack of joy? Is the answer to put on a Christmas movie and hope for the best? To drink hot chocolate until you're sugared up? What is the answer here to find joy in the midst of difficulty? Well, I would submit to you that our lack of joy, or at least our challenges in finding this joy, they are directly connected not to earthly things, so not how many Christmas movies we watch, not how many Christmas pajamas we get, not how many cups of hot chocolate we drink, but rather our inability to see Jesus during these challenging days. In the midst of all the turmoil and the hubbub and the concern of, do I have enough presents? Do I have the right presents for everyone? Is everything wrapped? Is thing, are things going to be ready for this big day? We lose sight of what's important during this season. We lose sight of who is important during this season. And in the midst of that, today as we look at this promise of joy, my prayer is that you would see this theme of God bringing joy to his people throughout the Bible. Throughout the Bible, God is working to bring joy to his people. We recognize that the incarnation, this gospel message of Jesus' birth, God coming to earth as a human, this is the greatest gift that has ever been given to mankind. This is the greatest thing we can receive. And through this moment, this incarnation, we rest in this truth that God is bringing all the themes of Advent to life. Hope, peace, joy, and love. And so if you're here today and you're looking for joy, you're wondering where to find it, I believe we'll find it through the birth of Jesus. That takes me to my first point. You see, Jesus' birth is the source of true joy. We're going to be bouncing around the Bible today, so I'm not going to have you stand as we're reading it. But I want you to flip over to Isaiah chapter 40. The words will be on the screen for us. But flip over to Isaiah chapter 40. I want to read these verses for you, verses 3 through 5. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Here we have an Old Testament prophecy of one who will come before the Messiah. This prophecy is written hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. Yet the very promise we see here is rooted in this fact that God is going to bring joy to his people through Jesus. See, Isaiah begins with announcing there's going to be a time of preparation before Jesus is born. Someone is going to come to prepare a way for him, to allow people to know that the Messiah has come to change everything. This is the proclamation of the straightening and leveling that we see here. You see, it's a message for us as we look at this prophecy that there will be a level playing field before the Lord for us. Why is that important? Well, it means that the glory of the Lord that's available through Jesus 
will be available for all mankind. There'll be no barriers between us and God. There'll be nothing that will prevent us from receiving this gift of joy through Jesus. As you read these verses, I don't know if you can sense some type of joy in that. I think of this as Isaiah's writing these verses, that he's got some joy in his mind, in his heart. He's writing this when the people of Israel are in exile. They've lost everything. They're being condemned by Babylon. And they're wondering, is there hope? Is there any way we're going to come home? And Isaiah writes these words, giving them the promise that one day we will weep no more. One day there will be joy to be found. You see, there's joy rooted in this fact that Jesus is going to return. He's going to come back home one day. He's going to come back into this world. He's going to make all things right. All these things that are broken by sin will be restored. You see, the promise that we see beginning here in the Old Testament is that the people of God are going to see this preparation take place. God's doing this preparation because he doesn't want us to miss it. He doesn't want us to miss the fact that someone is coming to make things right. The Messiah is going to come. It's a signal to us of the glory that is to come. And in doing so, he's making this signal of he's removing barriers. There's no mountain, no desert, no valley, no rugged place that's going to stand in the way of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Even consider the very fact of the birth of Jesus. So many things that could have prevented Jesus from being born. And what happens? Everything goes perfectly, precisely right as the scriptures said they would. My friends, this is the beginning of how we find joy, not just in this season, but in any time of year. You see, Jesus is bringing true joy to us. Not only has this joy come, but we have already experienced it. You see, we know the joy of seeing Jesus for who he is. He's a great and mighty Savior who has relentlessly pursued his people. Who are his people? You and I. We have already experienced the joy of this person coming to earth, this holy, perfect God, seeking to know us. And to call us his. Isn't this an encouraging thing? Doesn't that very fact that the Savior has come to pursue you and I bring us joy? Whereas we're looking at this, I told you that we would be looking at this promise of joy in the Old Testament and the New. And this takes us into the New Testament looking at Luke chapter 1. If you guys want to flip over to Luke chapter 1. It's Bible drill time. See if you can find Luke 1. If you hit Revelation, you've gone too far. You need to go back to your left. But Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. I want to read verses 5 through 7 for us. Luke chapter 1, verse 5 reads, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, a division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. We pick up here in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke with 
Zechariah. We've got this man who's a priest who serves in a temple and he's married to a woman named Elizabeth. And he and his wife are described as being righteous people before God. That They keep his commandments. They follow him faithfully. And Luke, as he's writing this, he's not describing the righteousness of the Pharisees, that outward good but inwardly distressed. No, he's writing of people who truly are faithful to God and keep his commandments. Now here we find out that they've had some challenges over the years. It says here that they're both very old. And as we dig into the Greek, what the word means in the Greek is that they are essentially older than dirt. They're really, really, really old. Don't know how old, but they're old. The Greek is emphasizing they're old. Not only are they both old, but they've always longed for a child. It tells us that Elizabeth was barren, that she was unable to bear children. And so, despite the fact that they are very old, they've endured the heartbreak of no children for many years. See, this picture that Luke paints for us of their challenges is not to make us feel sorry for them, though we certainly do. But rather, his purpose is to highlight the miraculous work of God so that we will rejoice in his goodness and glory. You see, this passage continues with the story of Zechariah in verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the customs of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the people, uh, for the Lord, a people prepared. So what we see here is that during Zechariah's time and serving in the temple, he was visited by an angel, and Zechariah's response is probably pretty similar to what our response might be. He's surprised by this otherworldly being being in front of him. He's a little bit concerned about this, right? He knows that this is someone who's not like him. He's never seen this before. He's also afraid because he knows that this is someone who's not like him. He knows this angel is different than he is. Now, like most Christmas stories that we read here in the Bible, the angel does what I describe as the heavenly version of calm down and take a deep breath. He tells Zechariah, do not be afraid. The angel brings good news to Zechariah. Zechariah receives the good news that his prayers, his prayers that he's offered for years to God, have been answered. 
The angel tells him that Elizabeth will bear him a son and that Zechariah is to name him John, right? This is an incredible moment, isn't it? They've longed for this moment for years and now it is here. Their prayer has been answered. I'm reminded of a friend of mine who her and her husband were navigating through the struggles of infertility and they were told by their doctor that they would never bear children. And so they pursue adoption and they adopt a beautiful baby girl and life is good. They have the family that God has provided for them. And then one day she begins to feel a little distress in her body. She knows something isn't right and she goes and visits her doctor. And her doctor comes back with words that absolutely shock her. The doctor tells her, you're pregnant. And she looks at her doctor and goes, how can this be? We have tried for 16 years to have have children. 16 years. Thousands of dollars of treatment. We have tried for years. How is this possible? And her doctor, this man of science, of reason, of intellects, says, the only way I can describe it is this is a miracle. The only way I can describe it is that this is a miracle. She gives birth to a beautiful, healthy child nine months later. You see, in the life of my friend, in the life of Zechariah, this miracle that has been provided to them is to bring joy and gladness to them. This miracle is provided to them to bring joy and gladness. Not only is there joy to be experiencing this child, but more importantly, this child has been born for a very specific purpose. This child has been born to do something great for the Lord. You see, it tells us here in this passage that this man, this child, John, will be filled with the Spirit of God. He'll take a Nazarite vow to serve God all of his life. This means that he won't drink alcohol. He won't cut his hair. He'll avoid dead bodies. He's going to set himself apart to serve God. Clearly, if an angel comes and says, your child's going to be special, well, your child's probably going to be pretty special, right? I mean, we can agree on that. And God had plans for this child, this baby boy, to bring joy to his family and to the world. You see, it tells us right here at the end of this section that this child, this baby boy, because of his life, there would be many who would be brought back to the Lord. Because of his life, he would prepare people for something that is wonderful that's about to happen. He would prepare the way for who? The Messiah, the Christ, the Savior. I think as you are looking at this passage and the verses that we read in Isaiah, you can see that connection, right? That connecting line of the promise that God has provided. You see, this baby is going to prepare the people for the arrival of the Lord. He is going to be a joy to his family and to the world. Why? Because he will be the one who is calling out in the wilderness. He is the one who is going to make a way for the arrival of the Son of God. This leads us to our second point today. Our second point is that it is a joy to prepare others to experience God. It is a joy to prepare others to experience God. Before we even get in the text, I need to think through that with you. One of the greatest joys we have in the Christmas season is that 
We've been given an opportunity to prepare the way for others to see Jesus for who he really is, right? Those in the season who are the most joyful are the ones who have truly experienced the hope and peace of God in this life. See, they experienced it through their trust in Jesus. You know these people. They're sometimes very annoying. They remind you of Buddy the Elf. They're peppy and they're happy. You see it in the way they speak to others. They serve others. They treat others. They just do things different than you and I perhaps do sometimes. Yet, all of these things, the way we interact with others, the way we live out this joy that the Lord has given us, this is used to prepare the way for those around us to encounter Jesus. If we can just be honest with one another, we recognize a truth in our world today. We know that joy is something that is in short supply in our world, isn't it? I mean, just we think about the people around us, right? There are people around us that we live, work, and play with that are just flat out miserable right now. There are people that we live, work, and play with that are just simply in over their heads with involvement in sin. There are people who we live, work, and play with who are heartbroken over the pain of life. There are people who live, work, and play with us that are hopeless in the face of their suffering. There are just people around us, they do not see a way forward. You see, these people, they need hope, they need peace, they need joy and love. They need it in their lives, and we, we know where they are to find it. It's the Sunday school answer, but it's true. They will find it through Jesus. John's call in life was to be a beacon of hope and joy to those around him. It was not because of himself, but because of Jesus, that he lived the way he lived so that he could point others to Jesus. I want you to know that this is our call as well. This is who we are called to be. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians that we are ambassadors of Christ, this is what John did. This is the role he played. This is the role for you and I to play, that we are to point people to the one who provides hope, peace, joy, and love. We're to point them to Jesus. You might be skeptical of this, this good news, right? The the sounds maybe a bit out there, maybe a too good to be true, but as we look at this, you wouldn't be alone in thinking that because frankly, Zechariah thought all this was a little crazy, right? Look at verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Please note that he said, I'm an old man and she's older, right? He says, there's no way you can do this. And what is the angel's response? In verse 19, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not fulfill, believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. Zechariah is like you and I. He hears all this, and he's quite simply skeptical of this news from the angel, right? He says, I'm old. My wife is even older. 
She's been barren for for her entire life. We have no children. And you're telling me that you are going to bring the thing that we've prayed for for years to us. You're going to bring this child to us. He doesn't quite say it, but he's thinking, Gabriel, you got a screw loose up in there. I don't know what you're talking about. The reality is that as he says this to the angel, the angel says, do you know who I am? Do do you not understand what is happening here? He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. See, what Zechariah was saying is, I want to believe in this good news, but it sounds too good to be true. There's no way it can actually be true. And Gabriel didn't like that because what he was essentially saying to Gabriel is the Lord is a liar. And Gabriel said, the devil's a liar and so is Zechariah. Shut your mouth. And so, because of his unbelief and distrust, the angel silences Zechariah. He says, you will not speak until the time comes for John to be born. You will not open your mouth until all that I have told you has been fulfilled. You see, Zechariah is like us. He says that this good news is just too good to be true. But if we're honest, the very good news of a God who comes to us in the flesh to rescue us probably sounds too good to be true, if we're honest. Well, it might sound like it stretches the limits of our trust to believe in this. Our response to this good news is one of deep faith and joy. We trust in this good news because we see the change that is made in our lives. We recognize that once we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and now we have been made alive together with who? With Christ. We look back on our life and we see that the very promise of God has been fulfilled in us because once we were dead, but now we live. I would just submit to you that When we're in moments like Zechariah where it's hard to trust and it's hard to believe these things that, simply put, we have to make a choice to trust in God or trust in the works of man, of sin, and Satan. One will let us down every time, but one will always accomplish that what it is sent out to do. The one that will never fail us is the word of the Lord. Now you're probably wondering... How does this story end for Zechariah, right? What's going to happen to him? Is he ever going to speak again? Is he ever going to do anything? Well, flip on over to verse 57. You're going to see how this story ends for Zechariah. Look with me at verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And the neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to the father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. 
And fear came on all the neighbors, and all these things were talked about through the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. We skip ahead here to the birth of this promised child, John. Everybody is here ready to celebrate. They're rejoicing over this mercy that's been shown to Elizabeth. They're all thinking, she's old and she's about to have a baby. We're not missing this carnival act, right? Like, we got to see it. This is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And everybody's come to celebrate. One of those who's come to celebrate, we know, is Elizabeth's cousin, who's named Mary. Yes, this Mary is the same Mary who is the mother of Jesus. In fact, in this moment right now, she is pregnant with her baby boy, Jesus. And in this moment, John is coming to the earth before the Messiah in a physical form to begin to prepare the way for him. Why? Because everyone talks about this child who's been born. And what is it that they say? For the hand of the Lord is with him. For the hand of the Lord is seated in the next room, waiting for him to come to declare that the Messiah has arrived and the world will never be the same. So this baby John is born and everyone begins debating a name. Most assume that he's going to be named after Zechariah, right? This is a custom. He's going to be Zechariah the third or fourth, whatever it is. But Elizabeth speaks up and says, he will be named John. Well, at this point, everyone's confused and think that it, thinks that Elizabeth has lost her marbles, and so they got to talk to Zechariah, right? And so Zechariah gets a writing tablet and says, his name is John. By this point, everybody's confused. They have no idea what's happening. But in this moment, Zechariah is now able to speak, and he blesses the name of God because of his great work. See, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they understand the meaning of John's name. They understand the significance of who he is and what he's going to do. You see, in the Greek, John's name means graced by God. It can also be translated as Jehovah has been gracious. Doesn't this describe the entire life of John? God has been gracious to Elizabeth and to Zechariah by giving them a son. When there was no way, God made a way for them to have a child. God has also been gracious to the world because John is going to prepare the world for the coming of the Messiah and Savior, Jesus Christ. So indeed, God has been gracious indeed to us. This takes us into our final point today. You see, our joy comes from the grace of God. We're going to end our time considering the joy that is found here in the birth of John. Everyone's rejoicing over the fact that a healthy baby boy has been born. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they rejoice in the answering of a long-awaited prayer. For years they prayed for this child. All of Judea is rejoicing over the coming work of this child on behalf of the Lord. They say that these things have happened and only the Lord could be involved in this. And they all wait with eager expectation to see what is the Lord going to do through this boy. 
there's joy to be found in all the people we see here. John comes to bring joy, to prepare a way for the Messiah to arrive. Elizabeth and Zechariah feel joy at the long-awaited answered prayer. All of Judea feels joy because they recognize that this is a pivotal moment in history. They say, we haven't seen anything like this before. Something must be happening. The only one who could do this is the Lord, and they are waiting on the edge of their seat. What is he doing? They feel joy because in this moment, after over 400 years of silence, the Lord is moving and working and speaking to them in their midst. And so all of Judea is saying, what's he doing? Is he coming? Is he going to make these things right for us? They feel a joy because they know that they've not been abandoned. I would just ask you, do you want this kind of joy? Do you want this kind of joy in your life? I I know that I do. I know I want to feel this joy, experience this joy. I, I hope that you do. But perhaps you're asking a question. How do I find it? How can I find this type of joy? You see, this joy comes from the grace of God alone. You see, it's this grace that covered John's life and birth. This is the same grace that is given to us freely. We could never earn this grace from God. It is a gift given to us through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. You see, we should be people of joy because we know this grace. When we live our lives from this position of gratitude, rejoicing in the grace that has been shown to us, people, they look on us in all of the work of God in our lives. I would ask you, are you still looking for joy this Christmas season? Are you looking for it, wondering where it might be found? Where can it come? When will it come? My dear brothers and sisters, we have found joy this season. Not in earthly things, not in things that will perish, not in things that will fail us, but in the beautiful baby child that will dwell in this manger, this perfect Lamb of God who comes to make all things right for you and I so that we might experience the grace of God and have a relationship with him through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You see, we have found it through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so if you're here today and you say, I need joy in my life, whether I need to find it for the first time, I I need a dose of it right now because times are hard, whatever it might be, the path forward to this joy is through Jesus. And so today I would invite you to go to Jesus, to go to him for the joy that he offers through the grace that he gives us of mercy, of love, and of salvation. If you're here today looking for joy, the only answer for you is you find it in Jesus. Here in the next few moments, I'm going to pray for us. And my prayer is that you would find joy today through Jesus. After I pray, our worship team will lead us in a time of worship, rejoicing in the good news that Jesus is who he says he is. 
And my prayer is that you would see clearly, having found joy in this moment, not through things of this earth, not through the things of this world, but through our Lord and Savior, Jesus. If there's anything I can do, any questions you have, anything that I can encourage you in, would love to speak to you now, afterwards, at any point that you have questions about what the Lord is doing. I would love to answer those for you. If you would, would you go to the Lord in prayer with me? Lord, we come to you in this Advent season looking for all that you have to offer us. Lord, simply put, we, we want hope. We want peace. We want joy. We want love. We want all of these things to be abundant in our lives. And Lord, we're coming to you recognizing the very truth of it is, is that sometimes these things are not abundant in our lives. Sometimes these things are very hard to find and to see in our lives. And Lord, we recognize that the only answer, the only solution to these moments is not to find earthly things, is not to rest in things that would perish, but to rest in Jesus alone. So Father, today in this Advent season, in this Christmas season, Lord, would you allow us to see Jesus Would you allow our eyes to rest upon him, our hearts to be softened by his word and his good, that we could rejoice in the good that he has done for us. We could find hope in the fact that he still reigns on high. We could find peace in remembering that one day he'll make things right. We could find joy in the free gift of grace that he has found, and that we could find love through the free love that he has given to his people. A love that was so great that he chose to die for you and I. Lord, these are the reasons we rejoice and focus in every year in Advent to prepare our hearts and minds to receive the Savior who will be born. Lord, let us rest in these truths that God is good, that he is greater than all, and that Jesus still reigns on high. Father, I pray that you open our hearts and minds to the work of Jesus. Allow the Spirit to change our hearts, to renew us by the transforming of our minds so that we might be new creations who rest in you alone. Lord, we're grateful for your work in this season, and we pray that you would bring us joy today. Thank you for who you are, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen.